could you imagine if you're just sitting there or standing there peeing and all of a sudden Obama showed up on the left of you and George W. Bush showed up on your right? Hey, this is David. And this is Alon. And welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched, where today I finally watched My Fellow Americans. My Fellow Americans is not a movie I would imagine most people have heard of. I've never had a single person I bring this movie up to know what I'm talking about, or I've never had someone bring this movie up to me. I've showed it, you know, it was a big movie that my family liked, but it was one that probably stuck with me more than everyone else. But there's certain jokes from this that we would make to each other all the time. Like I would always say, uh, whenever I said facade, I'd say it's nothing but a big facade. Like mispronounce it all the time. These movies were also like this follows in a long line of like old man Jack Lemon movies. Sure. Um that he did with like Walter Matthau and then also did with James Garner. Um Out to Sea is one that I remember liking a lot. And then you had the grumpier and grumpy old men movies. Um but yeah, this is a movie I remember watching at my grandma's a lot and she liked those movies and watched them with me. Um, and I always just thought this movie was so funny and I thought it was so crazy that no one ever really talked about this anymore. I looked up the, the, the critics reviews of it and they're, they're not great. Um, which is just surprising to me. And so I haven't seen this movie in probably six or seven years. And before that hadn't seen it in like 10 years, um, maybe less, but I used to watch it all the time when DVDs first came out. Uh, and I bought the DVD. And upon rewatch, man, it still holds up to me. Um, I laughed a ton at this movie. The uh, the story maybe doesn't hold up as much upon a uh, if you you know really inspect it. But I laughed throughout, um, and so I was a little hesitant to see what your thoughts would be on it on. But what do you think about my fellow Americans? It's a it's a very strange movie. The the pacing took me aback. Uh, like in the beginning of the movie, it was so fast paced. It felt like an SNL skit at times. Not to say I didn't like it or I found it funny because I I did. I found it extremely funny. Um, and you know you were kind of trying to explain the genre of kind of what this falls in. You were like, oh, it's it's comedy, it's satirical, but it's also like a mystery. And I think the mystery plot line really adds that like layer of depth that I think a lot of comedies are missing. And I think that made it a lot more enjoyable because if it was just kind of this fast paced, you know, SNL, when I say SNL skit, like, I mean like, you know, those movies that are basically are just made nowadays because one of the SNL skits did really great and they just rolled with like a full hour and a half movie of it. I mean, like Night at the Roxbury, Wayne's World, things like that. Yeah, it's some a, of those some of those work obviously better than others. Yeah, exactly. And I felt like the beginning of that movie really felt like one of those that didn't work out. But as I was getting into it and I realized, okay, it's just setting up for this really great film that you know the majority uh of of the movie was um i really enjoyed it and especially i think because of the climate that we're in and i mean i'm not going to hold anything back the the fact that we did this movie in the first place is you know not a coincidence but 
We're actually recording it on election night. So. <laughs> we're recording it on election night. We do not know. Rather than following the coverage, we're doing this. <laughs> um, which this doing this and uh, apart from following the coverage is a lot less uh, anxiety ridden. But the the whole like thing I loved about this movie is that at the end of it, it didn't matter whether you were Republican or Democrat or left or right. I like the two, you know, our two main characters kind of realize that, you know, one might come off as more sleazy and one might come off as more like family oriented. But then as you get to know these characters, the family oriented guys way more sleazy than he let on. And the sleazy guy was, you know, had a moral compass uh, that he didn't, he didn't uh, advertise. So at the end of it, you were like, oh, they're, they're kind of just the same dudes, you know? And I really enjoyed that about the movie. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is not a movie that gets made this way in like 2015 on. Um, because the, the kind of the message that comes out at the end is the, the need to, you know, to work beyond party and like, uh, you know, that we're not so much so different uh, between, which is not a message that would work <laughs> over well with audiences uh, today. Right. Um, and I guess we'll see how it would work going forward. But what, what I love about this movie too, is like, there's just so many, amazing people in it like i said jack lemon james garner dan Aykroyd, uh john hurd who is mostly known as the the father from home alone but has obviously been in other stuff wilford brimney brimley um bradley whitford who like this was just a few years before starting on the west wing and also like you know you see him as a bad guy in happy gilmore too so i mean it just has like a ton of just people in it who know what they're doing um and even the director is the director of Tommy Boy. Um, he's not really been as successful, it seems, since then. But like, you know, he ha- he came off of Tommy Boy the year before and then did this. Um, so this was just like, it's it's so weird that this movie feels almost like lost the time to me. Yeah, and like I said, the beginning, it feels very skitty, right? I don't think that's a word. Um, but skit-like? Skit-like? Skitty? It, the be- you know, a majority of this film reminds me a lot of Mel Brooks' type of movie. But as soon as the murder mystery, or it's not really a murder mystery, it's more of a, uh, like a who-took-the-bribe sort of mystery, right? You know, trying to solve that ends up in a couple of murders here and there, espionage ploys, yada, 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 something with the NSA, rogue agents. And it's like, it's ridiculous. But I don't know how the blowing up of the helicopter and NSA rogue agents somehow uh, ground this movie in a way, but it makes and like an okay comedy into a really great film. I even like the way it starts too, because they kind of have this, you know, the first 10 to 15 minutes are just comedy, just like jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I mean, and, yeah. 
and the but the way they set up the story like the exposition of it they do in such a funny way to me you know showing jack lemon win and then four years later showing him conceding <laughs> and then showing um james garner winning and then showing him four years later conceding uh, just like th- that setup was so hilarious to me um and also just kind of setting up their characters a little bit and then you know you have further then James Garner is shown, you know, sleeping with his, basically his book publisher and asking her how the book is. So you now know, okay, this is like, you know, a womanizer who, uh, you know, is good with the ladies and then showing uh, Jack Lemon's character doing a, uh, a, a paid engagement with a Japanese insurance company and then having like a dancing panda, like grab him. And so it's like front, front page news, like, all that stuff is still just so hilarious to me. Um, but I do agree that the movie has for a comedy such like an interesting, unique plot, whether that plot holds up is another point to talk about. But having that interesting kind of out there plot and having this kind of you know device of a background as far as like the presidents or trying to solve like a kickback you know, mystery and then are at the same time are being hunted down by the NSA. Um, that just like adds to the story, but also just allows for these comedic moments throughout. You know how J.J. Abrams basically hijacks film scripts and turns them into like some sort of Cloverfield multiverse thing? I I'm curious to see if this movie was a strict kickback mystery like drama and the script was somehow hijacked by this director and turned it into a comedy because you're right the 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 plot that particular plot is so well thought out and and makes it unique I I can't I could easily see it being like that's the skeletal structure of the movie and then you add all these comedy elements on top of it which i think makes it unique because i just don't see films like this anymore right and i will say kind of not disappointingly it, it made me laugh but uh in his uh memoir james garner was writing about this movie and he said, he's like, I really loved working with Jack Lemon, but the director thought very highly of himself, but didn't know his head from his ass or something along those lines. <laughs> and so I guess he doesn't look back at this movie as fondly as I do. Um, but I disagree with him. Uh, it just it, like, as I said, like I continually laugh every time I watch this movie. And I think a lot of that has to do with from the starting point is how good the two main characters are just how well they know comedy like timing and delivery it's not like they're saying anything like too out there it's not like the 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 lines are just so crisp it's like their delivery is what makes it funny each and every time i don't know about you but um and i do want to touch on a few points about the like specific plot of the movie but I don't want to talk to such an extent where I want to, you know, give everything away because I think you're right. A majority of people, especially our audience probably, have not seen this movie. I do want to keep like an air of mystery about it. Um, but I, I will say generally, 
when the plot is kicked off and they have to cross Ohio to get to Cleveland or wherever they start out from, they have these stopping points where they meet like very blue collared, typical Americana. And as ex-presidents, you know, you have to feel like at one point they were responsible for these people. And it, and the movie touches on like every political issue that I could imagine, even if it's for five seconds, they touch on it. And the way they do it, I thought was just really clever, but also like, um, and there's a part, I guess, later on we have to talk about, but also heartfelt. Right. I mean, I think watching this movie now, I think people could accuse it of being a little too sweet, a little too sugary. Um, and it's kind of depictions of, you know, society, like you said, like, you know, if you differ with someone politically, you kind of see them as like the enemy, as almost like an evil person. And so the way that this treats, it covers these societal issues somewhat superficially, which is, I think, something that people would probably ding it for now, um, you know, saying that mm-hmm. it doesn't hold up as much. But I still think that the way they do it is funny. I mean, <laughs> starting out with the like the idiot vice president um dan Aykroyd's vice president played by john hurd um just hits a hits a guy with a golf ball hits a black guy with a golf ball and then explaining to him that he's so sorry and hope it doesn't scare him off from the game because there's so few black people that play golf and like my favorite part is the reporters trying to write down all the like inane like (laughs) not not PC things he's saying just because I mean he's an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Um you're right. The the amount of like not political correctness in this movie is funny, but I you know we don't know how it would go down in today's society as like they I feel like they would definitely have to take a step back from a um or turn the dial down i would say to a lot of the things that have been said in this movie um one of the things that was interesting to me is is kind of the little character nuances that they gave each each main character so we have the you know the democratic ex-president who is a womanizer and then the republican ex-president who is very very cheap and the the way they play off and the jokes that come out of there, I'll say my favorite one is when they're at like a gas station or a fast food restaurant or something like that. And he's like, let me borrow $5. And I think it was Russell who was like, oh, $5 for a, a buck 30 burger. No wonder the Democrats can't control their spending or something like that. And that just, that had me. That was one of the best jokes in there. Well, I also, all the, all the times they like meet these random people and like some of them not really like knowing who they, like, you know, if, if any of the last, what, 10 presidents, you know, obviously most of, you know, a good portion of those are dead, but if any of the last like living presidents walked by, you would recognize them. And so it is kind of funny to see the people that like don't recognize these two people that were presidents of the United States. Right. Um, I do love the first guy that sort of meets them as they're about to get on the train and like, you know, tries to shake uh, 
James Garner's hand. He's like, got to keep the hands on the first penis. And then, and then the, the smack on the back. Like, that's the part. That, that scene is, like, the one that, uh, like, sticks with me from this movie with the dude smacking them on the back. <laughs> the, the whole time I was thinking, I was like, when, when they do meet the, that first guy at the urinals, and um, I was like, could you imagine if you're just sitting there or standing there, peeing, and all of a sudden, Obama showed up on the left of you, and George W. Bush showed up on your right. Right. No, yeah. I mean, I think that's the point, too. When you, I don't even necessarily, when I watch this, I've never really thought of it in the perspective of if these were two presidents that I actually know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that obviously does put a whole another spin on it. I do think it's funny, too. So, like, at that point, they're stop, they, they get to this, this train station and they get on a train. But before that, they meet an Elvis impersonator. And the Elvis impersonator is like, oh, I thought I was doing this gig alone. So they get on the train. And then two seconds later, uh, James Garner is talking to a Marilyn Monroe impersonator who he had, uh, had apparently had sex with at some point <laughs> in his life. Right. I just like, I thought you said you're doing this alone, Elvis, but it, I guess clearly no one like told you that there are going to be several other people, uh, really just one, I guess, but turned out to be the president too. Yeah, well, there is a lot of plot holes like that. And I'm not saying like, these plot holes make a bad plot uh you know plot holes don't necessarily have to make a bad movie it's just kind of oversights that you see and i feel like the story itself is strong enough that it can withstand these plot holes because it's like yeah i saw them they're easy to point out but it didn't ruin the movie for me um one of the ones is a small one where he he's in a diner and he wants like the last piece of pie, but he didn't have like two nickels to rub together for the, for the pie. And so, uh, so, but then later on he had enough, they had enough money to go rent a car from budget. (laughs) I've literally never thought about that before. I almost wonder if they just pulled if I were to try and uh, argue against that, I almost if they just tried to pull like a, hey, can we, you know who we are, we'll, like, we'll pay you? Yeah, I mean, it kind of like, they, they recognized them for sure. And they were like, can we see your IDs? And I thought that was, a, that was a good joke too. But it really did make me think like, the amount of money that they didn't have or that they have really fluctuate through the movie in, inconsistently. Which, I, like I said, is a plot hole, but it doesn't ruin the movie. Right. No, and honestly, it's something I never once noticed. What I think next to that leads into is, um, this is something I noticed the last time I watched it, and then I obviously noticed it again, but Michael Pena playing a very small part of a uh, Mexican immigrant or, you know, someone who, like, crossed the border illegally. I was um, so surprised that, that he was in this movie. So it's young. Like, I looked it up. It's like one of his first roles. It's like the third thing he had ever done. Um, and yeah, his part is really funny too. Like them talking in Spanish about um, Jack Lemmon having a small penis and like, that's why he's angry. Yeah. And then, and then all you had to do is turn around and just like, I, I actually speak fluent Spanish. <laughs> well, he says I speak fluent Spanish, but he is clearly saying it like the 30th take where it's the best, like, 
white person version of him saying yo hablo espanol a hundred percent he's like yo hablo espanol it's like yo hablo espanol muy bien uh yeah now that that part's great too and then that leads into uh they they uh they fall into the gag of like what could go wrong and then that exact thing going wrong several times but when they steal the car and they say, all right, well, it looks like everything's finally going to work out for us. And then there's the baby in the backseat. And then they have the, uh, another like sort of, not plot hole, but they duck down because a U.S. government vehicle is driving by and it's the people looking for them. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they would have saw the president on the far door ducking down. But like when the camera pans into it, the, the seat's just empty. Yeah, I know. I saw that too. I do like the line where he talks about being an ex-president because he keeps giving his like his secret service detail to slip and he's like in all the years of you guys guarding ex-presidents has there been one assassination attempt and they say no he's like just so sad like as soon as you're out of office they don't have the decency to try and kill you yeah and that was at the beginning that that's when it was like joke after joke after joke but that was one of the best ones uh the the part that I kind of want to really talk about is that conversation they have when they insult that family that they stole the car from. And she's like, get out because we've invited you not only into our car, but into our home. And both of you have basically put in policies that have ruined our lives. (laughs) And it left like that scene ended and it was one of the like more serious scenes, but also really put a downer in the comedy mood. Yeah, but I mean, it's also, I don't know necessarily necessary. It, it, at that point, it's probably just a plot device to get them to have to rent a car and drive themselves and get rid of this family. Like you have the few scenes of like, you know, the funny scenes of this family, like they're all sleeping together in a camper van and the, the dad keeps grabbing jack lemon's breast he's like oh he's grabbed my breast again um and then later on he shows up he's like he's at his job in the factory he's like i slept with those two men i i'm proud to say i slept with both those guys uh yeah so i mean it's probably just a plot device to get rid of them but i do think it's also maybe not well but the movie is trying to point out that regardless of your politics like each president's decisions are probably going to negatively impact some you know, swath of society. Like, especially if we have like bad economic times. And that was kind of the point. She's like, you know, the economic downturn uh, that you had, Mr. Douglas, like lost us our house. And so, I, I mean, it's in a movie like this, trying to make like real points like that, it's probably going to not, you know, well, it was just abrupt, right? Because they made real points to the whole movie, really good points, but they did it with like a very strong comedic, you know, element in there. Um, but this just felt out of place, but also really like not informative. I don't, I don't know. Emotional. It, it was a good, like, um, emotional cornerstone of the movie but it was so dramatic i guess that it it did feel out of place um right well even when they you know uh at the uh at one point they like march in a gay pride parade and everyone's like so happy to see them like oh wow two presidents doing this like that's so 
you know, groundbreaking almost. And then they ride on, like, they get a ride to Cuyahoga Falls, like near Cleveland to the presidential library um, on the back of like a lesbian biker group. But yeah, like even in addressing that issue, he's just like, you know, I got to rethink my uh, position on those gals. We could use them in the military. And it's like, well, you know, what is that line for? Is that like you trying to say that they should be accepted because like we could use them in war? Um, you know, so I mean, a movie like this, that's so kind of farcical and it's just a comedy like with this action, crazy espionage, not espionage, but like mystery element. It, I don't know the societal points they're trying to make like work that well. Um, I, I guess I applaud the effort. Um, and like sometimes I will say like, the the scene with the family that like lost their jobs and is trying to you know get this one opportunity in a factory in Ohio like that scene just makes me sad and it makes me sad thinking about that that's like a real thing that happens uh but it's like in a movie like this trying to make too many of these societal points I don't know that it's gonna like work or at least if you're gonna do it keep it in the same tone that you have like the rest if not the majority of the movie in um Look, it didn't bother me that much. I I uh I do want to talk about when once they get in the White House and uh I don't know if you want to f- totally flesh out the ending, but the fact that they snuck in through the tour was great but also how old is this movie because i feel like i've seen so many mo- so many movies that sneak through the white house using the tour well this came out in 96 um and it's the, i think there's several times before the white house part of this and i'll just say um you know spoiler alert throughout if you listen this far without watching it um go use whatever sources you can find to, to watch this movie. It's probably pretty cheap to rent on Prime. Um, it's pretty cheap to buy on whatever app. And so it's definitely worth your time. If you have a Roku, it's on the Roku channel. But at the ending, logic completely flies out the door. I will say there are some parts before that. Um, but I think when we're going to talk about the ending, it's just like to point out the logical fallacies loopholes whatever you want to call them not loopholes but plot holes um but the first one is uh wilford brimley plays like the chairman of the democratic national committee or someone very high up in electing you know choosing who's gonna be the democratic nomination for president and he takes the chief of staff of the republican president and fake tortures him (laughs) and is going to fake drug him to get information out of him on a yeah. tape recorder and then helps in a kidnapping. Um, <laughs> like I get that this is like a whole, first of all, this whole story, like the NSA uh, trying to kill two former presidents in a cover up, uh, you know, for a vice president, like democracy would be in trouble after this. This would be a huge fucking story. So just that, but Wilford Brimley just so down to like, like yeah, sure, what like yeah, let's torture this guy to get information from him. It does. It does. Um, I I did forget about this one part uh, when I think 
there he's waiting one of the presidents is waiting in the car for the other one who's using the restroom and the nsa has found him and he has to like haul ass out of like the parking lot of a long john silvers into the parking lot of a jack-in-the-box destroying both of the mascots all the while i'm thinking to myself is this like a large metaphor for government politics like fucking over corporate america or like corporate america fucking over government politics because i was like long john silvers and jack in the box are very like to both crush their mascots it's very specific i think it's probably they just found uh, a part of a town they were filming in with some dilapidated old fast food restaurants and they were able to destroy those i guess is my my take on what happened it does raise the point of like how was the nsa so easily able to always find them every single time because obviously there's well no not obviously but like you can't have that many guys working on like a coup of the u.s government and right so like you can like, have one one nsa rogue agent but the whole freaking department more than the like there it looked like there were four guys underneath the main guy which by the way uh paul tanner played by everett mcgill i've never seen him in anything else it's like one of the most perfect castings in a movie ever like this dude just scares me and it's terrifying uh, he is great in it but he has a team of four guys that at several points is able to catch up with the presidents on a train um they catch up with them in West Virginia. But before that, the U.S. government car drives by that car that, you know, when they're in with the family with the two kids. Um, how are they able to track them so well, uh, you know? Well, the reason I say it's the whole department is because during, like, a payphone call that one of the presidents has to, I right, think that... Douglas, Douglas has the chairman to, guy, Wilford yeah, Brimley. To, is that his actor name or character name? You don't know who Wilford Brimley is? Okay, it's the actor name. No, because I think his character's name is Joe something, right? Joe Hollis. And um, <laughs> they, like, it shows, like, the NSA, I don't know, technology sector is, like, tracking all of America to find his voice, like, recognize the voice through a payphone, which is no, first of all, just no. And second of all, that's a huge sector of the government. So that's why I was thinking that it was the like the, more than just those four people. I don't think they were tracking the entirety of America. I think they were um, tracking Wilford Brimley's phone because they know that uh, James Garner's character was communicating with him before this. So I think that's what they were doing. And that's why, um, you know, James Garner told Jack Lemmon not to call his wife because he knows that they're tracking at least that phone. But we digressed a lot. So let's get back to the White House. First of all, yep. even the White House chef is probably going to have her car searched every time. Now, I know this is pre-9-11, so maybe things were a little loosey-goosey getting into the White House. 
But I have to imagine that every car that drives onto the White House and every person that goes into the White House is at least somewhat thoroughly searched. You would think, but I, I like how she's like, oh yeah, these are fr- what, what's she, fresh cucumbers or whatever. Yeah, take a look if you want. And then he's like, no, nah, I trust you. And then she gets in and is pulling out some boxes with some, you know, her sous chef. That's right. And there's a gun just sitting there. And she's like, have you been to those farmer's markets? They're murder. And just puts the gun in her pocket. No? Yeah. I feel like that's going to, you know, that's going to be an issue that they're going to have to solve that day. I don't think she's just going to get to go on with her day. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you didn't really want to screw her over in her, in her job security, you know, in the, in the plot. But that would have been a great way for, say, like a member of the Secret Service was helping her unpack her groceries. I don't know. I don't know if that's how it works. But say then they find the gun and that could be like a tell like, holy shit, we've been compromised, you know? Like that could have been a good way of like going and moving the plot along. But they do this thing with the tour and they end up in this room with a secret door and then my God, it leads out to like the Northern wall. That doesn't even make sense because it's like a brick. It's the like north, the North lawn. And then, yeah, they get out and they get out of the wall. I mean, everyone knows there are secret tunnels in the white house. So that, I mean, we've all seen national treasure one and two. I'm pretty sure in one of them, that's a plot device. Well, talking about national treasure, I'm pretty sure they've are also used the White House tour to get in. And that's, I mean, <laughs> it's a foolproof plan. So like. Definitely, definitely National Treasure has taken some notes from, from my fellow Americans. If, if no one has seen this movie, David, Nicholas Nick Cage. Cage has. <laughs> He's probably yeah. a fan. I, I also, I don't get why they get the, they get the two presidents trapped in this room and they're like, all right, we just have to adjust the timeline with the death. And then in what seems like five minutes later, they announced the death after like all the tour participants saw them. It's like, that is a little sketchy on the timeline that you were trying to go for. I Maybe seriously thought, well, no, I seriously thought they, they were like, oh, we got to make the timeline fit. And they took those five minutes to go and murder all those people in the, in the tour. <laughs> I don't think that's what they did. And then that leads to the scene of Jack Lemmon and James Garner in what I believe is some of the best CGI of the 90s, uh, riding horses uh, around the outside of the White House. What are you talking about? (laughs) I couldn't hold it in. I was like, what? They weren't riding horses? That wasn't them? What are you talking about, David? (laughs) <laughs> that CGI was bad in 1996 and it's only like gotten more laughable, but it's just, it, it, it's like unintentional comedy. Like it makes me laugh. I thought they were being smart. I, I literally thought they were being smart. They were shooting them from like the waist down or like the neck down. And then they were doing like the close-ups on the horses, but then like you can easily fake that with like, our movements and having the reins in the in the hands but then they hit to the you know they they moved to the wide shot 
And not only is it just atrociously ugly, but they're like, oh, let's see how many different points of view we can do this wide shot in. And my favorite, because it is the most horrible one, is from the perspective of the snipers on the roof, where they're like turning their heads and literally, I just thought back, especially in 1996, someone had to sit there frame by frame and follow these floating heads on, you know, these two random, I guess, stunt double bodies. Yeah. And I just imagine the director at some point was like, fuck it, it's good enough, like, let's move on. No one's going to care about this. Um, but when, yeah. It, when you first saw this movie, did you automatically connect that that sniper rifle guy on the roof was Dorothy? I connected it when they panned in uh, a close-up shot of the... Uh, I, I don't know if I recognize his face, but it, he is somewhat recognizable. But definitely once they show the keychain that he gave him in West Virginia and then he shows it, which leads to the greatest line reading of the movie after he shoots Tanner and just like to his fellow sniper, those are the presidents. I, I, I quoted that earlier today. I was just, I don't know in what context, but I just turned to my girlfriend and I go, oh, we were talking about the election. And she said something. She's like, that's not a candidate. And I was like, those are the presidents. It's a good line reading. And then two <laughs> plot twists later, we find out that the vice president is the one that planned all of this, uh, John Hurd, who's just been a bumbling idiot. He is probably like one of my favorite parts of this movie, just the way he plays stupid, like stupidly throughout the Dan Aykroyd saying, I hope he doesn't quote song lyrics as he starts quoting Muskrat Susie, Muskrat Sam at a guy's funeral. Yep. Um, and I just, when I was watching it this time, I thought it's a little bit of a plot hole of why he would explain himself, explain himself to these two guys, like two ex-presidents, that he committed basically treason. Right. Uh, um, and is, you know, he's admitting to something that would put him in jail for the rest of his life. Uh, so what was the thought process of, of explaining yourself? But I almost kind of saw him as like this like bumbling, like Bond villain almost of, I have to prove to you guys how smart I am. And in doing something, yeah, in doing that, it's just like, it was all a big facade. It was all a big facade. Um, do you think the movie would have been better if it wasn't all a big facade? And he was actually a bumbling idiot. And he just so happens to end up in the most powerful position in the world. Um, just by accident. And that's kind of how they ended the movie. Just an idiot in the, in the White House. Because like, I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, that kind of says a lot in itself, too. The fact that everyone in the government has an agenda and everyone is, you know, bad that's that definitely brings a message but i to fit in with the rest of the tone of the movie i would have enjoyed it a lot if it just kind of innocently ended with in complete moron being in the white house 
I honestly have never thought about this before. And that is a much better way for it to end. Like they try and do this second twist of him being the one behind it. And it's pretty unnecessary. And the payoff is like, not that great, honestly. But having him give a speech and be an imbecile, he don't like, so when Dan Ackroyd's elected in the beginning of the movie, it then says three years later. So this guy's only got about a year left and there's about to be like, it, you could have done a couple scenes or one small scene of him like shaking the hands of you know you know a delegation from China and then like you know asking them how Tokyo is you know what I mean like you could have had some funny jokes with him being president and I honestly missed opportunity yeah and it would have said a lot too because then it you know the whole thing is like to be a politician in in this day and age and probably in 1996 you know you don't really need anything you know you don't you don't have to be qualified or you know there's not certain qualifications that you have to hit and so for that to kind of like end up happening is somewhat although dramatic telling of it true um but you know whatever that they didn't do it we're stuck with the ending that we have which if anything, just for the fact that we have that facade line is great, which I feel like is pulled right from a Mel Brooks script. Well, right. But then you have the, the actual ending too, which is I really love because not that the lines are that witty or it's that well-written, but the delivery of Jack, uh, Jack Lemon and James Garner um, trying to argue over, they haven't decided who's going to be VP and who's going to be president. And so they're arguing over who gets to do the announcement and James Garner just throwing money on the ground knowing that he's going to take it. <laughs> and then the saying of the movie title and then you son of a, like that, 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 that gets me every time. It just, rewatching this, the main takeaway, and I've already said it, but those two guys, you know, it's, it's you know, obviously they lived full lives, but it is kind of sad they're gone because they're comedically so talented, both of them. And that, in and of itself is why this movie holds up and is still funny to me. You know, plot holes aside, um, I still love this movie. And I'm actually really glad you enjoyed it. Um, and it's something that I'll, you know, I didn't really need to watch it again. I watched it last night and then I didn't really need to watch it again, but I put it on again today just because I was like, you know, it's, it's, I enjoy it. So. Yeah, no, it is really good. It's, 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 uh, I have, you know, I don't even care about the plot holes. I can look, I can look past that. So yeah, I really liked it. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched my fellow Americans. Bye. <laughs>